Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure. We help busy parents who want to set their kids up for success by providing them tools to build a deeper connection with their family and to spend more stress-free time with their kids. I am your host, Julie, and each Thursday we are having conversations with guests on different themes, and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view, and learn in a non-judgmental way. In today's episode, Dr. Larry talks about how to apply your attention as a parent. With a 50 years career as a clinical, child forensic psychologist and seven books under his belt, as well as his experience as a dad and now a granddad, Dr. Larry knows what he's talking about. We discuss how your attention is the most valuable thing to your kid and why it is important to catch them on the good. He also tells us his views on discipline as well as his step-by-step guide to loving attention. That includes how to avoid negative attention trap and how to apply planned ignore it. I hope you will enjoy this episode. If you do, please make sure to spread the love and share it with someone who might benefit from it. You can also write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. Click on the five-star button on Spotify and join us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure for daily parenting tips. But without further ado, let's begin. Hi, Dr. Larry. How are you today? Good morning. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you on. Thank you. Could you please introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. I'm Dr. Larry Waldman. I'm a, uh, uh, I call it semi-retired uh, clinical forensic psychologist. I've uh, been in practice, uh, uh, I was in practice, I should say, uh, for nearly 50 years in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I've, uh, I have stopped or retired from seeing patients actively uh, since 2016, but I still speak, uh, write, teach, consult, uh, and, and things of uh, things of that nature. And like this, uh, guests on, uh, on relevant, important uh, podcasts. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. And so what 
made you want to become a forensic psychologist? Is it something that you always wanted to do as a kid or when did it start? Well, I always wanted to be a psychiatrist uh, mm-hmm. back when I was a child, but uh, getting into med school kind of got in the way. And, and frankly, uh, I'm now that I've been through it all, I'm glad of that because, in fact, I had a couple of psychiatrists in my office. And, and truthfully, I preferred the way uh, psychologists operate as opposed to how psychiatrists work. Um, so I had that interest all, all along. Um, I got into the forensic part, uh, which is basically the legal part of, of psychology. And I'm now referring to family law. Uh, I did uh, close to 100 custody evaluations or family studies, as they were called. I was uh, appointed probably 50 times by judges as a parenting coordinator uh, to help acrimonious parents who have now been divorced uh, learn to communicate and more effectively manage their their children after the divorce uh, and so on. Uh, I also uh, uh, did a a fair amount of personal injury work uh, and and things of, of that nature. So that came later, that came in about 2000, uh, but my, I actually started in practice in 1979. Okay, well, but there's a lot at stake in this uh, specific field, right? Because it's with families, with children. Um, so obviously it's very needed and you, know, you make such a big difference in their lives, but how did you cope with the pressure sometimes? Because it's, as I said, it's like so much at stake. Um, well, that, that's a good question because a lot of my uh, colleagues uh, will avoid the courtroom as much as they can. But I found it to be uh, challenging, frankly, more interesting. I mean, by the time I got into this legal work, I'd been in practice almost 25 years or so. And truthfully, uh, sitting across from somebody and listening to their issues and so on, uh, I have to admit, started getting a little boring. Uh, I probably heard some of those stories many, many times. Mm -hmm. So I like the challenge and so on. Besides, uh, I have a son who's an attorney. I like to say I've never been to law school, but I've paid for it. Um, So... So I was familiar with that. I had friends who are attorneys and so on. And so uh, I, uh, I liked it. I, I did. Uh, it was more interesting. It was more, it was more challenging. And I'll be honest, it was considerably more remunerative as well. Okay. That's very interesting. I guess what I'm wondering as well is how it was impacting your family life. Did you learn a lot of things that were helpful for you and your your kids? Or, you know, how is it, for example, for your kids to to grow up with a psychologist? Do you know everything about them? Like, how does that work? (laughs) Uh, Well, there's two questions there. Um, Mm -hmm. One, the first question is, uh, did it impact me mentally? One of the things you learn if you're a mental health practitioner is that there's a difference between empathy and and allowing it to 
and really impact yourself personally. Because the truth of the matter is, if you if you allow that to impact you personally, you know, to, to the point where you know you're losing sleep or whatever, uh, you've lost your effectiveness then as a clinician. So while I, I tried to be empathic with my clients or patients, I, I didn't really allow it to affect me personally. And at, over the years. I think I mastered that. I've had colleagues and so forth have trouble with that, and some of them had to leave the field. Uh, Now, way, way back when, before I became a private clinical psychologist, which, as I said, was in 78 or 9, I forget now. Prior to that, I was a school psychologist for several years, for seven years, working in schools. And I had some special ed teachers that really had a problem separating, you know, from the problems their students had. And and some of them uh, were, as I call it, taking it home with them because they didn't have the experience and training that I did. And I I had to talk with some of them. Uh, Some of them were like speaking to the parents on a nightly basis and so on. And and no, you know, you've got to draw some lines here. So, and they were allowing it to interfere with their personal life. And no, you can't do that. Now, what, is it, uh, what did it mean for my family? Well, of course, I think it helped. My wife and I are, have been uh, happily married. It was 51 years this past August. Yeah. I raised two healthy, uh, happy, productive sons. One is a very successful attorney, well married, and has a grand has our grandson. I'm going to call it their child. It's my grandson, uh, who's uh, seven, going on seventeen, and we enjoy him a lot. And my other son uh, is a school psychologist. Now he is the director of special education in a school district in Washington State. He also is uh, well married and he has twins, a boy, fraternal twins, four. In fact, we just came back a couple of days ago from spending time with them and trick-or-treating with them, which was, mm. which was so much fun. So, yeah, um, it made it easier for me. Sure, I think I knew how to raise them. I had a plan. And I think what happened is... Is that my sons grew up to be uh, responsible, resilient, caring men, and that's what it's all about. I'm very, I'm very proud of them. It's probably my best achievement, if you will, aside from, of course, being married to my wife. <laughs> Congratulations on on all of that. That sounds amazing. But yes, I think it would be interesting to talk about the plan that you had for your kids, and you also wrote seven books in, in total. So I think it would be very interesting to, to see what you can uh, share with our audience today. Well, sure, I'd be glad to. Actually, this, this stems from my uh, first book. It, it's entitled, Who's Raising Whom? And I, I borrowed that, uh, that title from a frustrated mother. She was sitting in my office saying, Who's raising who here? Well, it's actually whom, but who's raising who here? And she was right. She wasn't raising the kid. Uh, the, the kid was raising her. Mm. I, you know, I believe that parenting is probably one of the most important jobs that we adults do. 
raising a human being to become responsible and resilient and caring uh, and moral and, and so on uh, is, a, is a heavy responsibility. But the problem is, is that most parents don't get any training in it, very few. You know, they don't take any courses, they don't read any books like mine, and so on. And so what happens is most parents, basically, uh, parent the way they were parented, which in some cases uh, is good, uh, and so on. But truthfully, in the majority of cases, it's not. By the same token, I should add, uh, many, many people marry the same way their parents were married. Mm -hmm. And then here again, it can be good or not depending on where you come from and so on. So the science of what I call child management, uh, and it is a science by and large, uh, is not very fancy. It's not very technical. It's not uh, very difficult to understand. It's just hard to implement. But the theory is simple. And, and basically uh, what it's based on is how does the parent dispense the most valuable thing they can give to their child, which is their attention. I mean, think about it. parental attention at the beginning is life-giving. Mm -hmm. The parent doesn't hold the child, love it, look, at, look into his or her eyes, feed them, of course, care for them and so forth. The child won't survive. Or we have cases where the parents kind of act with the child in a very stiff kind of manner. And yes, the child is alive, but is not thriving. There's a, there's a syndrome called failure to thrive. And, and we see that as well. And that comes from parents not providing loving attention, if you will. Mm. So here's the question. When do we attend to our children? Well, the research on this is very clear. And tons of it has been done. I'm familiar with most of it, so on. And what we basically find is that essentially, uh, when the child is misbehaving, doing things the parent would wish them not to do, they receive parental attention about 90% of the time. Yeah. On the other hand, when the child is behaving acceptably, minding their own business, maybe playing cooperatively with their sibling or, or whatever, only 10% of the time does the child receive attention. So if the child is being reared in an environment where most of the time, most of the, uh, this needed attention is provided when they're misbehaving and only 10% of the time is this attention being provided when they are being appropriate, how would we expect this child to behave? Bad, yeah. <laughs> Badly, of course. Okay. Now, is this the child's fault? No, because remember, you know, the child was brought into this world naked and naive, as I like to call it. Okay? The child doesn't know what's good or bad, wrong or right, and so on. Now, as far as they're concerned, the life they're living is it for everybody as far as they're concerned. Now, every child, of course, you know, is born with this 
desire to get their parental attention. It starts from day one. The child is hungry you know, and they instinctively cry or complain about uh, 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 And what does the parent do? Feed them, okay? So very quickly, the first week of life, this child begins to see this connection between their behavior and the consequence to that behavior. Starts off very simply, you know, I cry, I complain, I get fed. Or after a while, very quickly, these, these little ones are very smart. By, and by the time they're less than a month old, now they're sometimes crying, not just because they want milk, but because they want to be healed. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it, it begins to broaden very quickly and the parents don't even realize it. The kid, you know, they'll pick the kid up and, and put a bottle uh, in the mouth or a breast as the case may be. And the kid isn't interested in drinking. They just want to be held. They put the child back down in the crib and it starts crying again. And, and so I mean, very quickly, these little stink pots, as I sometimes, you know, are learning, ah, there's power here. There's manipulation here and so on. And it starts from there. Mm-hmm. And the parent doesn't even realize that the child is actually manipulating them. Well, yeah. Well, um, yeah, they're not conscious of it, but yeah. Yes, right. And so it starts from there. And, and so you know, over time, you know, what I try to teach parents is that how do you appropriately, judiciously apply your attention? Now, I like to say, I've said all the time, my, my kids manipulated me all around the block. They behaved well, and they got my attention. Mm-hmm. And as far as they're concerned, they were, what, kids, two, three, four, six, eight years old. They didn't know any better. They didn't know that this was different than anyone else. As far as they knew, they followed daddy's rules. They did what daddy asked and daddy was pleasant, Mm -hmm. appreciative, reinforcing. We did fun things, et cetera, et cetera. And so for me, parenting, I mean, look, we had, I'm not saying it was absolutely perfect, but compared to most, it was, um, it was relatively easy because I trained my kids to learn it pays off to be good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, many parents unbeknowingly teach their kids that you're going to get most of my attention, most of my time, most of my energy when you misbehave. Well, you can see where that leads. Now, that leads to, to frustration mm-hmm. you know, and, and so on. And fatigue. I mean, you know, for some parents, by the time the day's over and the kid finally goes to sleep, and that can be a real chore too, I mean, they're exhausted. Yeah. You know, parents you know, have this little cherub that they take home from the hospital when they're born and they think, oh, this is so lovely and so forth. And by the time the kid's two or three, they're ready to tear their hair off. <laughs> but beyond the difficulty in the parenting process, is what are we teaching the child? 
And as I said to you in Norm up here, uh, and I believe this strongly, the child who doesn't put his dirty underwear in the clothes hamper in the morning is the same child that's not responsibly doing their homework that night. So what we're doing then when we misuse our attention, as I call it, is that we're teaching the child, frankly, to be irresponsible. And for that matter, not very resilient either. Mm. Uh, and so on. Um, so parents have to learn. There is a little bit of science in this process. Again, without getting, you know, you know I could speak on this all day. In fact, I, I teach this in classes and such, and obviously I've written about it. Uh, but if parents are willing to get educated and basically understand they have the power, they do. Yeah. It's how they use it. And if they use it right, uh, they they can make things a lot a lot nicer around their house. But more importantly, it's not a matter of just making it easier. It's, it's teaching the kid to be independent and responsible. Mm. Right, and obviously, it's best to implement that from day one, right? So that it's it's easier. But how can a family transition to that if? It's not the case, for example, and they're stuck in a vicious circle where kids are misbehaving, for example. I like your term, vicious circle, because that's exactly what's going on. I, uh, I give it a technical name. I call it the negative attention trap, mm -hmm. where, where the kid basically expects negative attention. That's primarily all they're getting. And the parent pretty much expects that's the only time they're going to react anyhow because they're so darn frustrated about the kid misbehaving. You know, if the kid finally behaves, they go and, and, and wash the dishes or, or do their checkbook or whatever because they have, finally have a little piece. Yes. So you see the cycle continues. But, and your question's a good one. The truth is, sure. Is it, you know, is it best? Is it ideal that we start from day one? Absolutely. But does that mean that you know, if you miss the boat by you know, that you, you can't turn it around? And the answer is no, you can always turn it around, at least until they become teenagers. I mean, I've had cases you know, where the kid's 15 or 16 and the parents come into my office and they say, you know, we don't like where this kid's going. We don't like some of the choices he's making and so forth. Uh, we'd like you to uh, shape him up. And, and I'll say, wait a minute. You've lived with this kid for 16 and a half years, right? Uh, you want me to see him, you know, for 45 minutes, you know, twice a month, and I'm going to completely reshape him. Uh, I'm afraid the horse has already left the barn here. Hmm. Uh, we'll do our best, but, uh, and so on. But, if, you know, within the first 10 years, absolutely. If parents change the environment, believe me, the child's behavior will change. I've worked with hundreds of parents with this program and within a matter of a couple of weeks, uh, wow. things have turned 180 degrees. Yeah, so do you go gradually? Like how do you shift? Because I guess that it would be hard if, they, if they're misbehaving, let's say they're, I don't know, drawing on the wall. Uh, would the parents, for example, not give any attention at all? Or like, what would you recommend in, in, for the transition to happen? Can you still say something or would you just ignore and only praise them when they do something good? 
Well, we're, we're jumping way ahead, of course. Again, and this, of course, is, is what typically happens. When I meet with parents, what they are most interested in, first off, is what to do with all the bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I understand that. But you see, while I recognize that, what I tell them is, frankly, we can't work on that first. Because if we, if we operate on that first, then what we're doing is continuing to give our valuable attention you know, to inappropriate behavior. And this is what got us here in the first place. So the first step, basically, next to awareness, and that, that's probably the first thing. Yeah. Uh, and we've been talking about that. But the first actual step is to increase the amount of good behavior that the child is exhibiting. And that's one of the first things that we have to teach parents. In other words, catch them when they're good. By the way, a lot of this applies to marriage as well. Think about it. What, when you see you know, couples and so forth, you know, are they, you know, does the husband, let's say, say to the wife, dear boy, that, that chicken parmesan you made was delicious. I love the way you take your time and cook for me. We don't talk about that. Most people talk about that. We want to, we talk about the bills, or you did this, you did that, and how come this and so on. You know, or does the wife say, as the husband's you know putting the dishes in the dishwasher, "Oh, honey, I love the way that you're so helpful, you know, and and that you clean the dishes and so on. I cook and you clean. You know, that's such a great team." Do we reinforce each other that way? Uh, Rarely, pretty much on the same formula as, as parents do to kids. So some of this applies to you know, our marital relationships as well. So what I'm saying is one of the first things we have to do is get parents to become more aware of when the child is behaving well. Mm-hmm. And, and see, a lot of parents use what I call the sleeping dog philosophy, which is if the, if the dog is sleeping, you leave it alone. If the kid's behaving appropriate, you leave it alone. No, no. If you want the child to continue that good behavior, you let the child know briefly and so on, that you really like the way they're doing so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And that maybe, you know, right after lunch or something, maybe we'll bake brownies in celebration of what you were doing or something like that. Well, you were going to bake brownies anyhow, but now you know, we're not there and you're going to get to have the first one. So now you know, the kid was just there drawing nicely, or maybe he was playing nicely with his sister instead of teasing her and so forth. And you come in and say, oh, Johnny, I love the way you're playing checkers with Susie. That is so nice. You know, I, you know, for you guys to be playing so cooperatively in 15 minutes, let's go and make brownies. Well, you're going to do it anyhow, but now we're going to do that in celebration of this behavior. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the kid goes, woo, woo. Well, it looks like you know, playing cooperatively with Susie is a good thing because now we're getting to have brownies. All right, I'm all over that. <laughs> and you see yeah. what starts to happen. So that's the first step, you know, is increasing the amount of appropriate behavior. So the child starts to learn that, oh, there are other ways to get my parents' attention. And so you know, if you watched me when, you know, when I was raising my kids when they were little tykes and so forth, you know, throughout the day, I was telling them, I like the way they did that and good that. And boy, you know, when we're done with this, when you're done with this, we're gonna go do this and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So that is critical. 
and, and that is, the, is step one, two, and three, if you will, you know, is that the, the, kid, the kids have to learn it pays off to be good. That's what we really want to get across, first and foremost, before we do anything else. Now, you see, once you know, the, ch the child learned that, again, when my kids were, you know, now they're four years apart, of course, but you know, when they were young, you know, here I am, I'm reinforcing and I'm encouraging and, you know, and, and, and I'm giving positive feedback and so on. And, and we're doing things you know, when we can and so on. And so, you know, they saw me and their mom, of course, as people that you know, they wanted to please and who pleased them back and so on. Now, uh, supposing that maybe they're starting to whine, I want to do I would just do that. Mm -hmm. Turn that your head, ignore, just, and or, right. yeah. or maybe even walk out of the room. You see, mm. well, all of a sudden, you know, to them, this was, oh, wait a minute here. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, you know, Danny is you know is you know, fun, and you know, I, I enjoy being with him, and he's praising, and we're doing things together, and so on. But when I did this. All of a sudden, he's not even looking at me or he walks out of the room. Mm -hmm. Well, guess I don't want to do this anymore. So yeah. you see, by, by instituting this sense of reinforcement for good behavior, you now have even more control, not only of increasing the good behavior, but also now we're, you can even address the inappropriate behavior by not responding to it. Mm -hmm. Right, but you see, you—that's you, why you don't do that first. Because what else do they know? But mm. once you've instituted this reinforcement program, of course, then by not providing attention to it, it's a big deal. And my kids would come, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I'm sorry. I'm. A, you know, they knew what they were doing. Those little stinkers. <laughs> and they, you know, oh, and so. On. You know, so now we have this combination of you know, this reinforcement. And again, th this is the key. You really got to institute that first. But once that's in place, all right, then you can move forward to, or you know, I don't forward, but you can move to what I, we call planned ignoring. Or behaviorists refer to this as extinction, not attending to the inappropriate behavior. It's a very powerful thing. In fact, I've uh, prescribed this uh, little experiment to hundreds of my you know, patients. And what I tell them is the next time your kids you know, start squabbling and so forth, just pick up, leave the room, don't say a word, go into your bedroom, sit on the edge of the bed, leave the door open, and just look at your watch and see what happens. And then when we meet next time or next week, whenever, you tell me what occurred. And they always say the same thing. Then they say, oh, I was so afraid to do that. I was afraid they would beat each other to a pulp. There'd be blood on the floor. But I, I did it. I did it. And I said, okay, so what happened? And she said, within 15 seconds, they're now up in my room in front of me, arguing in front of me. He did this, no, she did this. And I said, okay, now what did you learn from that? And she said, yes, I'm part of their argument, aren't I? I said, yeah. 
Mm. Because what have you taught them? That when they argue, finish it for them. You have to, to discipline and pick sides and so on. Well, well what do the children learn? When they argue, yeah. what does the parent do? Play they, referee. They, yeah, they, they have yeah, to pick sides between. The... <laughs> but, but, but think about it. What's your goal here? Is your goal to teach the kids that, that you can start fighting anytime you choose. And when you do, you can be sure mommy or daddy will break you up. Mm-hmm. Is that what we want our kids to learn? No, <laughs> I want my kids to learn to settle their own stuff. They're not going to beat each other to death. I doubt that. No, what they need to learn is how to settle things. You see, mm-hmm. that's a good skill. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How to resolve things, how to calm yourself, those are good things to learn. If we're doing it for them all the time, and they're certainly willing to let us do that, we're not accomplishing anything. In fact, we're getting in the way. Definitely.
Mm. So, and, and, and of course, what the parent learns is that the kids are bringing the fight to them. <laughs> yeah, mom, come on, we're up in your bedroom, now fix it for us. Duh. Yeah, that's true. And also just, I remember my little sister always be like, mom, <laughs> you know, every time there was a, <laughs> a problem and I was like, oh, shh. <laughs> It's definitely yeah. bringing the, the parents to, to do the dirty work. Yeah. You know, these kids are so smart. I'll, yeah. I'll just share something. As I said, I, we were just up in the Northwest with our grandkids. And, and we spent, you know, uh, we also were there helping because they were working and, and their preschool was, was closed. So we were actually caring for them. Mm-hmm. And I observed this scene. And her four-year-olds. The little boy was playing with a toy. Mm-hmm. The little girl decided she wants that toy. Yeah. So she goes over to her brother and tries to grab it out of his hands. Now he holds on to it, and being a little boy, he's probably a little stronger than her. Okay. Yeah. So he holds on to it. So she pulls and then lets go. And then starts to scream like someone ripped out her tonsils. Now, her mother was just about ready to leave to go to work, but she now hears her daughter screaming. She Mm -hmm. comes into the room, looks at me. I watched the whole thing. I wasn't, I didn't do anything. And she sees this little girl and picks up this little girl and comforts her and then scolds the little boy, assuming he hurt her. And I just sat there and I didn't say a word. Mm. But this little girl orchestrated that entire thing. Of course. That's what my sister was doing to me. Yes. Setting you up. And you (laughs) and mom were played into it. (laughs) That's how smart they are. So it's a funny thing. You know, the, my grandkids have learned when Papa and Nana you know, babysit, uh, we, don't, we don't play by the same rules. Okay? Mm. When anyone starts to whine, I just simply point. And there's a little area that where all their toys are in and so forth. But I, I refer to that as the calming room mm. or sometimes the crying room. Well, so while we were, after mom left, after their mom left, we, you know, it was a couple hours later. Again, she started to whine about something that didn't, you know, frankly, she whines too much. But anyway, she started (laughs) to whine about something. And before I could even raise my hand, her brother says, I won't say her name, go to the whining room. (laughs) And she she did. She walked into the room. Okay. She wasn't there five seconds, turned around and engaged again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's still they important to have a, a place to process your emotions because obviously you don't want to teach them to just repress it. So I think it's really positive to still have that place and um, that it doesn't affect everyone else. No, you're free to whine. I just don't have to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. And... And you certainly are not going to benefit from it. That's the mistake a lot of parents do. Well, you know, the classic example, uh, Timmy, six, comes into the kitchen. It's close to dinner time. Says to mommy, and mommy has baked some cookies. 
now for dessert. Mommy, I want a cookie. What does mommy say? Well, it's close to dinner time. What does she say? Yeah, she says, not right now, later. Exactly. Mom yeah. says, uh, no, Timmy, uh, a cookie will spoil your, spoil your dinner. If you eat a good dinner, you can have a cookie for dessert. Okay, gives Timmy a nice long explanation, but there it is. Okay, what does Timmy do? He starts crying. Yeah, I mean, does Timmy go, oh, okay, good explanation, Mom. Thanks for the info. I'll, I'll come back later. No, <laughs> no. Timmy says, yeah, but I want a cookie. And so what does mom do? Gives in. Not usually not the second time. No. No. She repeats herself, right? Mm -hmm. Gives the same explanation all over again as if he's deaf, right? He heard the first one, but now he says, but I want a cookie. So mom says, Billy or Timmy, whatever. Timmy, uh, no, uh, you know, we're going to have dinner in 20 minutes or 15 minutes. If you eat a good dinner and so on, what's up? Does it end there? No. Of course not. Timmy's nose now, he's got mom on the hook. Okay? You know, he can he can do this, and, and he's now got mom's pure attention. She's not cooking anymore. She's focused on him. And every time he asks, she's going to give him the same explanation. But mommy, I want a cookie. And mom goes, now she's getting a little more. Timmy, I told you already, no cookie until after dinner. The explanations get a little shorter, but she's still attending to him. Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't stop him. Maybe yeah. the fourth time. I want now he's about ready to have a tantrum, or at least look like it, right? Mm -hmm. I want a cookie. Now, mom at this point is so frustrated. Plus, she wants to get back to making dinner and she's tired of this stuff and so forth. And so what does she do? Gives the Give in. All right, here, take your darn cookie and leave the kitchen. And he does, and he walks away with a little smirk on his face. Mm -hmm. Now tell me, here's the $64 question. What has Timmy learned? That if he screams enough or like keeps asking and being persistent, then he can, he can have whatever he wants. Absolutely. Very good. Now, is that a skill? We want to teach our kids to persist in being obnoxious to get whatever it is you want? No, unless they're salesmen. So. <laughs> yes. No, I said unless they're salesmen, then no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but salesmen aren't being obnoxious. obnoxious no. today, uh, <laughs> at least not trying to be. Uh, yeah. But yes, that's the point, you see. And yet that mother, probably the following morning, is talking to his girlfriend and says, oh, you know, Timmy, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's so stubborn. He takes after his Uncle Willie you know, as if it's genetic. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's learned. And, and it could be, but it could be the same pattern as well, right? Like as you mentioned in the beginning, because you tend to just depending on your education and so on, but like you tend to just do the same thing that you know. So it could maybe seem like it's genetic, but it's just because you're repeating the patterns that you've been through as well as a kid or taught, right? And it just seems like sure. it's genetic, but it's just a, it's just the same education style that was received. Again, you, you know, we do what we've learned 
you know, as parents and, and as kids. So, so here again, what parents aren't being aware of is, you know, is they're falling into these traps, if you will. And we're not, you know, again, not only does it lead to difficult parenting, because now, now you got a kid who doesn't take no for an answer, at least not the first time, maybe not even the fourth time, you know, and so on. You know, and, and so now you got to repeat yourself all the time. You think that takes a lot of time and frustration. It makes parenting very hard. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. And so my kids learned, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, I mean, here's what I did. Uh, and I'm cooking dinner. And, uh, I want a cookie and I'd say, no, you'll have, you can have a cookie after you nice dinner. Okay. If they come back, if they come back a second time, I'd say, you got your, you, I gave you your answer. And for asking me again, your brother will have a cookie for dessert, but you will not. Now leave the kitchen. Done. Now that may sound harsh, you see, but it's simple. It's the, and by the way, they learn when dad said something, it was in iron. And so therefore, when I said no the first time, sometimes maybe I would just quickly look at him. And that might send a signal, you want to follow up with this? It's probably not going to end well for you. <laughs> and they knew it, you see, and they'd walk out. Yeah. Right? yeah it's also so, just testing the boundaries as well. Like it's normal as a kid. Absolutely. And even as an adult, sometimes, you know, you just want to see how far you can go uh, it's all right. about like finding yourself and and uh yeah I, I also know like some kids just try to push to see how yeah like how far their parents are gonna still be there for them you know like how well, far can again, you go you make yeah. you know you make great points and, and 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 you're absolutely right and here's the point here's the problem if if we're not setting limits for our kids and frankly most parents aren't then, then, then the child doesn't know where the limits are, mm -hmm. and they're going to find them, or at least. And the parents them. don't know where the limits are either. So exactly. Nobody knows. But you see, yeah. with, with me and my wife, because of course, you know, well, she taught fourth grade for thirty years, and so between us, we strategized, and that's what parents should do. You know, we were in this together, uh, and so on. You know, my kids knew their limits. Mm. I mean, I remember. Oh my God, this is, they, my older son was in college. My younger son was still in high school and, and he was, my son from college was home and, and I took the boys out. We had a boys night out. We played pool and, and so on. And we, we were having dinner. We didn't have dinner somewhere. And there was another family sitting across from us, you know, you know parents, you know, grandma and grandpa and two little kids, like maybe four and six. Okay. Well, The two kids are running around the table mm -hmm. in the restaurant. And one of them almost trips a waiter with, with a tray full of food. And, and the grandmother says, you know, Joshua, be careful. Not get your butt on your seat, but be, be careful. You almost tripped the waiter. And, so, and both my sons immediately looked at me and said, you know, if that were us, we would have been sitting in the car in the parking lot by now. And I said, most likely, yeah. So, see, they knew what their limits were. Yeah, like what respect is as well, like for other people. Sure. And yeah, but that's also something I see a lot right now. I think nowadays is with uh, screen, 
where and I completely understand that in certain settings it's so much easier to just give the screen to the kid for example in a restaurant or something if they can't sit through the the meal or you know they're being fussy or something a lot of parents just give them the screen which like to each their own I understand that it's easier but like how would you do in this situation for example well again first thing one of the first things I would do is of course set an expectation Uh, and that is, you know, it, it, if you can finish your meal and remain in your seat, when you're done, we will have a dessert. So there's a now, so it's not a threat. It's not, if you don't do this, you won't get this. And parents screw that up too, unfortunately. It's if A, then B, okay? So you set the expectation. And again, my kids knew when I said, If A, then B, then that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And that if they didn't do A, they sure as heck aren't going to get B. Yeah. Right? No matter how much they want and so on. So that would be, so, so I'm setting the stage to begin with. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have to ask them a second, if they maybe get off their chair once, maybe because they're young, I might yeah. say, remember our deal. And, that's, and then I would always say, and that's the last time you're going to hear me say that. So they knew. Yeah. That's it. Lines drawn and yeah. You get off the seat chair again, dessert's gone. Now that doesn't mean your brother isn't going to get dessert and I'm not going to get dessert. Everybody might might get dessert, but you're not. Because you didn't buy into the contract. You didn't fulfill the contract. Mm. Now If it still happens, of course, and he's getting up and around and disturbing other people, I would take him by the hand and we would walk outside and we would sit in the car. And then after I would call my wife, then my wife would come and relieve me and I would finish you know, my meal and so forth and, and, and such, okay? Mm-hmm. And then when we got home, that child knew that upon coming home, the first thing they're going to do is go to bed without a story. So my kids understood That, you know, if you, again, buy into the contract, behave well, life is good, choose not to, there are going to be consequences. Now, you're not going to be screamed at, you're not going to be slapped, you're not going to be spanked, but you are going to suffer a consequence, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, you'll get over by the next day, which is part of building resilience. Yeah. So that they learn, okay, when I mess up, Yes, there's a consequence, but it's not going to scar me for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's also preparing them for school and the work life where, you know, if you don't do your work or if you just like come in late or if you do whatever, like there is a consequence for your actions. And I think that sometimes kids are shielded from from that and have to learn the hard way. So I think it's like a long term It's also positive that they understand that anything they do has a consequence attached to it, good or bad. I love your reframes. Thank you. Absolutely. I mean, that, you're, you're right on. Isn't that what we want to teach our kids? In my head, from the day I put that baby in my arms, I looked in his eyes and, and I'm thinking, all right, it's my job to raise you to be an independent, responsible, caring, 
moral young man. Yes, and they need to learn there are consequences for inappropriate behavior. Mm -hmm. That's life. And for good behaviors as well, I guess, as well, because then it also, like, your whole method is also just praising them for the good, which is a, a positive consequence where when you do good things, then good things come to you and so on. So I think it really goes both ways, which is something that I like. It's not focusing only on the negative consequence or something like that. Like, I think it's really just, it's teaching life as well. Like if you do good things, good things then come to you and you don't have to suffer the negative consequences. Absolutely. That's amazing. Is there any last advice that you would like to share with parents today? Well, I, I think in a nutshell, if I have to you know, condense it into a one sentence and so forth is catch your kids when they're good. Yeah. And your spouse as well. Oh yeah. Working as a team is so important. <laughs> yes. And, and sometimes it can be tricky, but yeah, <laughs> that's uh, it's so important. I think when both parents are aligned because otherwise as kids, you tend to always go to, one of the two because you know that it's easier <laughs> so yeah sometimes there's good cup bad cup and you just choose the good cup when you can <laughs> well that's part of the strategizing that i refer to later mm -hmm. and as parents that's deadly if you're allowing the kid to play play you know one parent off against the other you you're going to have your hands full Uh, you are, you need to be united, even if you think the other parent might be wrong, at least as far as the, the kids are concerned. If you think, you know, one parent was, you know, too harsh or, or too, you know, or, or, or whatever, or too easy, you know, you, in front of the kid, you let it go. But at mm -hmm. that night, you sit and talk about it and say, look, you know, when you did so-and-so, I thought you were too this or too that. I think we need to talk about this and let's you know, do it differently next time or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so not in front of the kids, as far as the kids are concerned, you, they need to be united. My kids learned if they even tried to play one off against the other, the penalty was automatically doubled. Hmm. So they didn't do that very much. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think it's, it's very important. And yeah, no, thank you so much, Dr. Larry. I mean, I've learned a lot and I'm sure that everybody listening has learned a lot as well. So we will link everything, like all your work, your website, your books and so on. Thank you so much for taking the time to share so many valuable lessons with us. The, my website is uh, topphoenixpsychologist.com. Uh, you're also welcome to email me at lfw. Those are my initials, uh, LFW at Larry Waldman, PhD.com. I have uh, several books, as you mentioned. The first one I, that I showed you here, this one again, uh, is entitled Who's Raising Whom? Uh, my second one is uh, Coping with Your Adolescent. In fact, I like to say if you don't read the first one, you are definitely going to need the second. Uh, my marriage book is entitled, uh, How Come I Love Him But Can't Live With Him. The fourth one is Too Busy Earning a Living to Make Your Fortune. The fifth one is Overcoming Your Negotiophobia or Negotiating Your Way Through Life. The sixth one is um, 
the graduate course you never had. That's for professionals and how to develop a mental health practice. And the book I uh, recently did during COVID uh, is entitled uh, Love Your Child More Than You Hate Your Ex, What Every Divorced Parent Needs to Know. And they're all available either through my website or, of course, through Amazon. So I very much appreciate uh, the, your time and, and this opportunity. Thank you so much, Dr. Larry. We will put all the links uh, in the show notes so everyone can find them easily. And it's good because there's books for every stage of life. So I'm sure people will appreciate it, like no matter what stage of their kids' ed um, education they're on. So that's perfect. You got it all covered. Uh, but thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.